Welcome to life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. Today, we're here with Lisa Schulman. She's the Director of Family Building Services in New York City and also the Director of Mental Health Services at RMA in Connecticut. Welcome to life, love, insight, fertility, experiences. Today we're here with Lisa Schulman, the Director of Family Building Services in Manhattan and the Director of Mental Health Services at RMA of Connecticut. Thank you for being here today, Lisa. Thank you so much for um, connecting with me and I'm so ni- I'm so happy that we met. Uh, you know, this was just a fortuitous meeting. I was giving a workshop on surrogacy and uh, sent you a flyer and that's when we started talking and you know, instantly became friendly. So it's worked out so nice. It's just terrific to meet you and thank you for having me on your podcast. So well, my pleasure. As we spoke, you've done so much information and I'm so thrilled that you're here today so that we could share the information with everyone. Or at least oh, great. part of the information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, so I, um, you know, I've been in working in fertility treatment and working for various fertility clinics um, for the past twenty-five years. I've worked for several fertility treatment uh, programs, and in all of those years that I was working in fertility treatment programs doing um, third-party reproduction, including uh, surrogacy and donor egg and donor sperm and general counseling for fertility patients, I noticed that I saw a lot of the same problems over and over again. And people would, would leave my office and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're telling me these things. This is so important. And then I would hear that over and over again. And I thought to myself, how can I help more people on a larger scale. And so I put together a group, which I call the Center for Family Building. And within that group, we have um, therapists that, that will help anyone who needs help with any stage of their journey. So that way you can always find someone to talk to. We have workshops that we run for donor-conceived children. We run workshops on how to find an egg donor. We run workshops on surrogacy treatment. We have um, pre-recorded video programs on developmental issues for donor-conceived children and also for your surrogacy journey. And I also have, which I'll talk a little bit about later, a life book, which I created myself and had manufactured because I feel there was a, again, a place where there was a need. There were many people who really needed to be able to chronicle their journey and were not able to in a way that was not heteronormative and was accepting and was going to give many of the children that I see um, an, an experience that was really meaningful to them. Yeah, I love it. Honestly, I absolutely, I think the book is fabulous. Thank you. Is to meet someone who's been in the field for 25 years is so significant because, I mean, I've been in the field maybe 10 years now, but the field's not that old. So mm-hmm. you've seen so much transition and you have such a depth of knowledge. You know, the kind of the scope and the breadth of the knowledge is, is, is powerful because it helps people so much. And when you do see the same thing over and over again and then take that step to develop something to help is wonderful because what you're doing is you're really just empowering these people to realize they're not alone in their journey and there's steps and there's things that we could think about to help. So I find I do a good amount of work with donor egg. Everybody has their own unique set of questions and thoughts and challenges and with donor egg there's so much that's out there and I would love it if we could talk about that just a little bit from the time people start to think about having a family 
until they decide to go to a donor egg or even donor sperm, and then they, they carry the child and have the child. There's a whole process that goes on there. As I work with women, and they go through the fertility journey, and then they have to decide upon a donor egg, it's a tough decision to make, typically. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a very hard decision to make. Um, you know, and the decisions are different, of course, for different people. So if you are a woman who has infertility problems, your experience is going to be very different than, let's say, a gay man who needs fertility treatment to have a child but may not have infertility problems. And that experience might be also very different. I work a lot with Sloan Kettering and their cancer patients, um, and, and that process is also different, right? And so, um, you know, for many people, there are feelings of loss, feelings of um, pain and sadness over what they hoped as you know, what they had hoped they, their family would look like, and some difficulties managing all of that. But in terms of the donor process and choosing a donor, I think that those um, that process can be the same um, for everyone across the board, because I do think that as much as it's an emotional decision, it's also a practical decision. And I'm, um, I'm writing a book about um, donor conception, as you know, and um, in my book, I, I propose a way to think about choosing a donor that's a little bit more practical than emotional, because I think, um, and I've seen people leave my office or go someplace um, else for counseling and come back years later and say, I made the wrong decision or I made a mistake or I should have done something a different way. And so my goal is really to try to help people not have those regrets. Yeah, well, those would be horrible regrets to have to experience. Mm -hmm. You know, As you're talking, I'm thinking about so many things. I'm thinking about how it's so hard sometimes to separate the thought from the feeling, especially mm -hmm. through this journey. So to help somebody to do that is is significant and to think of it more of a practical matter but then to have a regret on top of it that has to be so challenging and so hard for the parents because they've gone so far and then to look yes. back regret is something that i talk about with people very often yes yes i know you see a lot of people who go through this also and so i'm sure you've seen that too the key to it is trying to empower people with knowledge and information while they're learning how to express the emotion and go through whatever it is they have to go through. Many times they have to go through some grief mm -hmm. to, to recognize it. I find that a lot of people get very apprehensive about the future and what the future is going to hold for the child growing up and what the future is going to hold for them telling people and how they're going to feel. And then mm -hmm. once the child is born, I see different feelings arise. But if I could backtrack for a moment, when you said making the decision in Manhattan, which is where I, I practice, I find that some of the places have different protocols. Some of the places, some of the clinics have different protocols in terms of the adoption. Some of them have closed and some of them have open. Now, how long things will stay closed in the world, I don't know, because there's so much availability of finding out about genetics. How do you help people with that, though? How do you help them in terms of making that choice? Should I choose the donor myself or should I go where it's chosen for me? And that, I find, is always a very hard struggle for people. Mm -hmm. Well, I think cost is one thing. If you use uh, most of the programs in New York, um, or at RMA of Connecticut, we have an open donor program. Mm -hmm. um, so you can choose an open donor if you like. And we have three different phases of openness that you can choose from. 
So there are other places, there are lots of places that do have openness, but in, on the East Coast, it's not as popular to have an open donor as it is on the West Coast, where it's, it's just very common. And I think eventually it will be more common for everyone. I think that eventually everyone will be open and eventually that's just going to be the way it is. I think for, you know, again, for women, it's very hard because it's painful. They have to deal with their own infertility and feeling the loss of their opportunity to parent a genetically related child and to look at the face of the person who's going to do something that they're not able to do is very, very difficult. Um, for gay men, it's not really the same because they're just very excited to choose a donor. And so it's a different experience. Um, so, so people have to do what's right for them. But I think it's good to kind of lay out the pros and cons to having an open relationship. And if you can afford to use an agency, uh, then you can choose the donor that you'd like. And you can choose an open donor or a closed donor. You can choose a, a donor um, of a different um, you know, a background than maybe is available at the clinic. <clears throat> and so you have many more choices with agencies. It's just that added cost. And so I've tried to kind of lay out all the options for people so they can think about what their choices are. Yeah, and we could probably talk for hours about how you lay out the options and the technical mm -hmm. because there because there's so much. When, when somebody comes to the decision though, specifically I think when a woman is carrying a donor egg, because that is the piece that might be a little bit more of a struggle because we know that gay men need a donor egg. They, and it's something that societal society expects to have, right? We know that genetically there's an egg involved. And so it's accepted and it's welcome and it's a very, typically from my impression, but I could be wrong, it's a very warm kind of exciting time. When somebody has come from some type of a medical treatment where they may not be able to use their egg and they know that and they're going into it, they've had time to prepare for that, even though it could be a little hard while you're going through it. I mean, I work with those women. You have much more than I have. So it could still be a little hard. It brings up the past, even though there's some kind of reconciliation with it when you're going into it. When you're working with women who didn't expect this at all, and it's a little bit of a surprise coming into it, there's a whole nother set. And typically, what I have found is that the women who go through fertility journeys using a donor egg where it wasn't the expected journey to take, it wasn't the expected road they thought they would go down, those women struggle with the genetics more so than other situations when there's no preparation beforehand. And it's understanding how the genetics really work, and I know that you know so much about this, and I'm so excited for you to share it, and what part of them really becomes that child. And so is there anything you can share about that or you'd like to share mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. So the um so the the baby will be created as a unique person, unique to that that individual. And there are two major reasons why. One is because the embryo contains all of the possibilities from both sides of the family. So if the donor has blonde hair and the, um, the father, let's say, has darker hair, or the donor's right-handed and the um, father is left-handed and the donor's creative and 
the father is athletic. All of these possibilities, plus the possibilities from both of their families, are all inside of the embryo. And all of us have it's seen little, that little embryo, right? Little embryo. But all of us have seen, right, that many times children in the same family look so different, right? And yes. we, we look at people like our, you know, our former president Bill Clinton. You know, he's Rhodes Scholar. President of the United States, his brother's an alcoholic and had a hard time keeping a job, right? The two princes of England look very different. Uh -huh. So you can have the same genetics, and each time that, that those embryos are used, the baby looks different and, right. and maybe behaves different, has different temperament and all of that. And so, so a lot of that comes from two sources. One, because the placenta of the mom will be nurturing and um, caring for that embryo and growing the embryo. So even if, let's say, the blueprint comes from the genetics, from the father and from the donor, the bricks and mortar and everything that's in that house is coming from the mom. She is building with blood and flesh. So even if the structure of the bones look like the father, the, the face and the cheeks and the cartilage in the nose will all come from the, the mom. And then the second part the is carrying the child. Carrying the child, yes. yes because the donor child. is the donor and the mom's the mom. And I think it's really important that people make that distinction. It's so important that, that people don't call the donor the mom. She's not the mom. She's she she's doing mom. something very important, but she's not the mom, right? So I called a phone number the other day. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it was really okay. fascinating. I called who did I call? One of the technical companies for something, I don't remember who. And the woman got on the phone and she asked me what I did and I told her and she told me that she was just getting off maternity leave because she carried a child for somebody. And she was the surrogate. I know we're talking about donor, but it was mm -hmm. really fascinating to talk to her. It was just a coincidence. And she said to me that she was so thrilled when she saw the mom take the child. She was the surrogate, she wasn't the mom, and she knew she wasn't the mom, and she was happy to hand the baby over to the mom. So, I don't know, it just, just came to mind. Mm -hmm. I thought mm -hmm. I would share that. Oh, yes. It was really fascinating that it happened that that's who I got on the other end of the phone. Yeah, I mean, surrogates often say to me, they, they take this take their journey very seriously. They very often say to me, the best thing that ever happened to me in my life was having my children, and the second best thing that ever happened to me in my life was giving birth to my intended parents' children. So the, the second piece is, is a process called epigenetics, and there's a lot of research on epigenetics now. I think Columbia University has a whole team. Um, and, and the epigenetics is the process by which genes get turned on or off. And so the uterine environment will decide, should I take the lighter hair of the donor or the darker hair of the dad? Should I take the height of the donor or the muscular build of the dead. All of those possibilities will get turned on or off by the mother's or the surrogate's um, uh, body. And so their biochemistry will have a reaction to the embryo and that embryo will have genes turned on or off. And we have all kinds of research in, in all sorts of field uh, areas. In fact, um, there was some research that showed that women who were pregnant in their last trimester during 9-11, their babies were born with a higher le level of cortisol than the average child. And so it's, it's really interesting that, you know, you can almost be 
be predisposed for certain sorts of difficulties or not, or have certain characteristics or not because of the uterine environment. So I always tell parents, you know, it's important to know these things because when their child is a teenager and their child gives them a hard time, they can say, you have to listen to me because I built you. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think it's nice for, for moms to know. Yeah, I was once talking to somebody, and I know you run these fabulous groups that I'd like to talk about, but I um, was once talking to somebody and his line was, well, no matter what, when the kids would say that their parents didn't want them, I always knew how wanted I was because uh -huh. I had to use a donor egg and a surrogate, actually. And what a fabulous um, person he was. He actually, I actually did a podcast with him, just fabulous. Very often, when I'll talk to people when we're talking about dealing with using a donor egg is the fact that this child would not be here without you. Epigenetics adds a whole nother level to that. So the time, the date, the selection is all up to the mom. Mm -hmm. Even the genetics is up to the mom. And sometimes what I'll talk about, and I don't really know how much validity there is to this, but I'll talk about the fact that you are nurturing that child. You are giving it all its food. You're the one who's the voice that it's hearing. So all of the things that you're taking in have to impact at some point this child as well. And I don't know how much science there is mm -hmm. in that, but what do you think of that comment? Well, I do think that, you know, in terms of the food that you're eating and all of that, that is part of what's nurturing the child and going, um, going through the placenta. Everything that you digest um, will affect your body, your digestive system, and will go through the placenta and feed and nourish the baby. So without question, you are helping to grow that baby into a healthy person. Um, in terms of speaking to the baby, I think it's nice that the baby hears your voice um, and, and is starting to develop that attachment. We don't know really how much attachment there will be, but we do try when there is a surrogate involved to encourage the intended parents to have into skin contact with the baby because there is this thought that the baby does hear the person who's carrying them, um, their voice and the voices around them and does have a reaction or a connection to all those, um, those stimulations. So one of the things that I do, I'd love to know what you think about this, but one of the things that I do with most intended parents is I have them write a story to the baby while they're carrying the baby or while mm -hmm. the baby's being carried for them. Mm -hmm. So, because it's a journey for the parent, too, to go through. It's mm -hmm. so almost telling that story while the baby is in the womb is as powerful and helpful to the intended parent as it is to the child hearing the voice. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's always been my thought. That is the thought behind the book that I'm like almost ready to publish. So it's, it's getting familiar with it and comfortable with it. So that as we go into this next phase of having to tell the child and tell people, we feel secure in our decision and in our confidence. And there's always a question of secrecy versus privacy in that decision. And I don't know how much you talk to people about that in terms of the secrecy versus the privacy and telling people about whether or not they used a donor egg. Some people want to wait till the child is old enough to make their own decision. That's mm -hmm. a heavy secret for moms to carry. I find that, at least with the people that I'm working with, sometimes they feel like they're caring too much and they should be telling people. And and the exploration there is really, should you be telling people or do you want to? Is there a need to start to talk about it and not have it as a private thing anymore? And is that okay? And is it okay with the dad or your partner? Mm-hmm. 
yeah and it's and i think it's very you know it's a it's there's no wrong choice people have to do what they're comfortable with i do feel that it is probably easier for many people not to tell a lot of people because first of all it is you know in many ways this child's story to tell or not to tell so even if they just say i used you know ovum donation to conceive and then just didn't go further than that that might be fine but people often ask a million questions about the donor and they become intrusive it's not like saying i'm going to the dentist and how was your dentist appointment people are really curious and sometimes relentless about it. Um, and then the other part of it is, you know, the reactions of friends and family. Sometimes people are not so um, uh, open-minded about ovum donation. And sometimes you end up in a situation where you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and, you know, your mother-in-law is looking at you and then looking at her son and then looking at the baby. And you have this sort of, you know, difficulty from everybody that there's this this preconceived notion that there's a prejudice about who the baby looks like or doesn't look like. And sometimes I think if they don't know first, they, then they fall in love with the baby. And when they find out later, they're already in love with the baby, it's too late. So, um, so I think that sometimes families do themselves a, you know, a disservice by telling everyone too quickly. You can, always, you can always talk about it as time goes on if you think about it and you feel comfortable about it, but once it's out there, you can't take it back. Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. Now, if you wait to tell the child, lots of times I encourage people to tell the child from the moment they're born to t start telling them the story. So the child grows up knowing it. Mm -hmm. right? So when you do that, what, what path do you take with them? Because people will find out as soon as that little one starts talking. Right? You had mentioned something you said, and I've heard the story of somebody who told their child and they were so excited, show and tell, that was it. That was what they told the whole school that they were mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like I thought what a wonderful job that mom did and that dad did explaining the story if that's their show and tell story mm -hmm. and sometimes sometimes the kids want to talk about it sometimes they don't I mean I, I you know I work with these uh twin girls and they went off to college and one of them said I really want to find out who my donor conceived siblings are and I really want to search for my donor and I want all the information and the other one said I could care less he was never interested couldn't care less so I think it's also partially the temperament of the child. Some children think it's important. Some kids think, you know, I'd rather go play on the swings. I'm not really interested. So right. it's not that earth shattering for everyone. It really depends upon the child. And, you know, I, I run workshops for donor conceived children and I find that the temperament of all of the kids can be very different. What's important is arming them with information about their origins and also helping them to, uh, understand how to talk to other people in a way that suits them and their personality because everyone's different yeah and you also do a um a workshop for children yes mm -hmm. that's it's really fabulous i don't know if you want to share that information but yeah i'll come with that yeah. it's great yeah so it's it's called the tip top uh program it's uh, that's an acronym for different ways that children can share their information and it was designed years ago um, i started the, the program many many years ago with a colleague so i can't take credit for creating it myself she's you know the the brains behind it um and it was really uh, you know an adoption program to start we ran an adoption camp for years and it was a fantastic program and she and i said why don't we make one for donor conceived children and so both of our sons liked to skateboard. So we took our sons to a skate park and we sat there and hammered out 
the whole curriculum. And, um, and then she became a college counselor and decided she didn't want to be involved in this anymore and said, go ahead, use it on your own. And so ever since I've been using it on my own and it's been fantastic. Um, the children get a lot out of it. Their parents get a lot out of it. And what we do is we take the parents and the kids um, into the program for the day. And our goal really is to help children have a vocabulary to share their story or not share their story or share the story in the degree in different degrees um, that they'll feel comfortable sharing with other people because just like the parents have to learn how to share or not to share the kids one day will also um, and then simultaneously we're also working with the parents and educating them the kids go through a variety of um of uh lessons we we start with icebreaker activities we do arts and crafts we help them identify their feelings. We, we sh share the curriculum with them. We do role play so that they understand in different situations, they may have different responses <clears throat> and to try to help them. Mm -hmm. And then we try to help them decide what works for them based upon their personality. And then we also help them decide what works for them based upon the audience because they may feel differently with their pediatrician than they feel with the kid in the playground. And so we help them with that. And then at the end, we um, have them share with their parents what they've learned. And almost always there are, you know, several children who share things with their parents that the parents had no idea that children were thinking. And so the parents then gain some insight into what the children are thinking and they can walk away with, we give them all the materials to walk away with and they can walk away with the materials and then we, we can put the parents as the children's allies in their self-exploration, put them together so that they can explore together over time how this will will um, unravel in the, in the children's lives. I, I we really that, want the children. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's so fabulous, but can I back up for a second? What were some of the, hmm. what were some of the things that the p children would share that the parents had no idea about? Do you have a couple of examples? So, yeah, so, um, one couple um, uh, recently, in my last workshop, one couple is a lesbian couple who um, do everything that you would imagine is kind of the perfect way to manage the situation. They had the life book they've been sharing with their children. They live in a very diverse area. They, um, they expose their children to all sorts of families. And so, and they've been talking about donor conception with their child from day one. And um, the child seems fine with it and has, you know, very open dialogue with them. And everything seemed fine and they just wanted to learn more and it turned out that their son actually feels very uncomfortable with his family he feels uncomfortable with the fact that he was stone conceived he feels uncomfortable with the fact that he has two moms and he never found the words to be able to share it with them and to be able to talk to them how he felt and why he feels uncomfortable and so we were able to talk to him about it and find ways that they can talk together as a family so that was, um, you know, one of the situations that I had before. Um, I also find that it must have been really strange for parents to hear. And how old was the child? Oh, yeah. Um, he was about eight, I would say. Eight. eight okay. Old, maybe nine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he was old enough to really yeah. be able to own those feelings and, and verbalize them. What a gift that was that they had him come to the workshop and that came out in the workshop. It was really a gift. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, we learn a lot of things. Um, 
Yeah, and developmentally, children change, right? When they're younger, they parrot the story. And so parents very often will think, oh, my child really understands this. I've said it to them a million times, they understand. But they're in the phase of parroting the story. They really haven't understood, they haven't developed enough to understand the nuances of the experience. They don't understand metaphor. They don't understand a lot of the things um, that go into ovum donation. And so um, even though they seem to understand it at a very young age, a little bit later, the parents discover they really may not understand it the way the parents thought they understood it in the first place. Well, it's sometimes it's not until they come to the workshop. It's hard enough for parents to understand it. Yes, so yes, exactly. It's not an easy concept. I think though, as people talk about it, the concept becomes easier and easier to wrap your brain around. But right now, yeah. people don't talk about it that much. Right. Yeah. But if we can get the parents and the children on the same page and help the parents understand where the children are sitting, they can really help them in their exploration. Um, and And help help. Absolutely. No, that's great. And you told me about an exercise you do with the children too, so that they feel like they're all together and mm -hmm. they're not alone. So all of these things are, it has to be a fabulous experience for both. Even if kids go kicking and screaming, it has to come out, not that they would, but you never know with kids. It has to be in the end something mm -hmm. they participated in. So yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. I think so. It must be wonderful to run it too. Mm-hmm. So once they go through this part of the journey, right, we go through having to recognize that a third party is needed, a donor egg or a donor sperm, or even if we go into surrogacy, that we need somebody else to help us through the process because our desire is to have our family and we're gonna have our family and family building no matter which path we take. They're all, they're all fine paths. We have to figure out the one that works for us or adoption. If we're gonna carry the child, and carry that embryo and we are able to recognize the love and the nurturing and caring we're giving which we're kind of talking about but coming to terms with it which is understanding intellectually and emotionally you were talking about right and trying to take some of the emotion out in in uh, picking who that donor would be and then we then look ahead at the child and what life is like once the child is here what have you been experiencing with through the workshops and through other conversations you're having with once a child is here, how does that family unite typically? Like any other family or do you think there's some uniqueness to it? Well, I think their experience of the donor conception starts to fade a little bit. So in the beginning, you know, it becomes a big deal. I had someone um, actually who just delivered last week and um, she wanted to start with, you know, as we're talking about, start the story immediately when she brought her child home and put the baby in the crib. And so we, leading up to her delivery, we spoke a lot about uh, how to do that. And so she would, would be able to institute that as soon as she got home. But, you know, after some time goes by, she's going to be thinking about sleep training. And then she's going to be thinking about all teething. And then she's going to be thinking about potty training. And then before you know it, you're involved in soccer classes and ballet lessons and all sorts of things like that. And then one day you go to the supermarket and somebody says, oh my gosh, your daughter looks exactly like you. And you think, oh my gosh, <laughs> it hits you. And what's, what's I think interesting for parents is that this, the, the pain around uh, donor conception 
and the pain around not having children is intertwined in the beginning. It's all part of the same experience when they are going through fertility treatment. But once they have their child, half of that pain is gone because they had the child. And so what's left is the pain that has to do with not having a genetic connection to the child because they already are already parents. And so it's no longer a pain about the child to be, it's only a pain for themselves about what they've lost. It's not about the child. They love the child. They are attached to the child just like they would be to any genetically related child, but they do have that pain about their own personal loss. And it's important for them to remember it's not about the child, it's really about them. Yes, absolutely. I love that's a great way to end too. And then we think about the epigenetics and mm -hmm. how that plays such a huge part. So, well, thank you so much for being here. This was wonderful. Um, I forgot to mention at the beginning that we're on Zoom, so any little hiccups in the recording, this is being done still while we're working from home through COVID. But thank you. If, if, somebody, wants, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, they can. They should go to my website. Uh, it's familybuilding.net, www.familybuilding.net and they can um, access any of my programs there. They can contact me directly. They can go onto my YouTube channel from there. Um, and or they can follow me on Instagram at the, fam the Center for Family Building. And um, I'm happy to respond to any questions people have. Great, well, thank you again very much. And if anybody has any questions or comments, they could reach out to me at laurimetz.net.